0: To be human is to be distracted and forgetful. Uh, I'm sure it's happened to all of us where we have forgotten someone's name that we should know. Sometimes it's even moments after someone's introduced themselves to you, their name disappears. Uh, As a person, speaking of myself, who remembers faces better than names... I had a terrifying and unthinkable experience happen to me, something I thought people should know better than put anyone in the situation that I was put in. This happened to me when I, when I was in high school. And so more than 20 years ago, I still remember it. In a conversation at school with, with a classmate, I didn't know them very well. In the middle of the conversation, they asked, do you know my name? I, I should have known their name. I, I probably knew it at one point, but it was gone. It disappeared. It was incredibly awkward. They did not help me in any way, and I don't remember how it ended, but I didn't remember their name now. I don't remember their name still. Uh, it, It happens to all of us that our mind wanders off during a conversation, right? And we don't pay attention, not intentionally, but we might not pay attention to what's being said. I'm sure that there's even times where Christians during a sermon are thinking about other things and not listening to the preaching pastor. Now I'm sure, I'm certain that that has never happened here at City Bible Church. Uh, maybe it has. Maybe I should rephrase that. I'm sure that'll even happen today. Uh, you might be thinking of lunch plans. Uh, you're looking forward to that. Maybe you're single and you're eager to start a conversation with someone new after the sermon. It's okay. I'm not offended by the distractions and by the way that our minds work because it doesn't only happen to me. It happens to all preachers. It even happened to Jesus. And so if someone zoned out during one of Jesus' sermons, who am I to expect anything less? And that's actually the context of our parable. Crowds, as we know, in the earthly ministry of Christ, were following Jesus from one town to one town. And so in this point, in Luke chapter 12, he's preaching to thousands of people. Now, in the verses right before our account... Jesus is speaking to the crowds about focusing on God. He's preaching about the fear of God and the need to acknowledge Christ. And then someone calls out from the crowd and interrupts Jesus. Look with me to Luke chapter 12. If you don't have your Bible, we'd love to give you, or if you don't have a Bible, we'd love to give you one. Please, uh, you can connect with someone at the connection table. They'll give you one. Or you can follow along on the screen or in your bulletin. Luke chapter 12 And look with me to verse 13. Someone from the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Now his question, without any more context, clearly shows that he wasn't listening to Jesus. He had something on his mind and he needed to tell Jesus about it. In Jesus' response to him, right, by telling him this parable of the rich fool, which we'll look at in just a minute, We see that our lives can be distracted by temporary things, and we can be forgetful of eternal things. And so Jesus gives us a warning. He gives instruction. And as we'll see going through the passage, Jesus teaches us to beware of the riches of this world because they are fleeting and so here is our main, main point for today. Life is living in and for eternity. Life is living in and for eternity. And if you didn't notice this, I have to tell you, I made an acronym for you. Right? This might be a first for me. That's why I, I pointed it out. Life, L-I-F-E, living in and I looked it up. That still counts. You're allowed to have an acronym with either an and or an of or something like that. Living in and for eternity. So that's going to be our main point. If you take notes, write that down, and then it will develop through the sermon. And So with that, let's pray as we prepare our hearts to go to God's word. Would you pray with me, church? O Lord, our God, we are here to hear from you. And so, God, would you speak to us as you are faithful to do so through your word? As Christ even said often through the parables, to those who have ears to hear, let them hear. So, Father, would you give us ears this morning to hear your voice? Because we recognize that unless you open our eyes, unless you give us ears to hear and eyes to see, Lord, hearts to receive, We will never see the beauty of Christ. And so help us to gaze on the beauty of Jesus this morning. We pray these things in his name. Amen. Look with me to verses 13 through 15. Someone from the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Friend, he said to him, Who appointed me a judge or arbitrator over you? He then told them, watch out and be on guard against all greed because one's life is not in the abundance of his possessions. It's a simple thing as we look at our text, but I love how Jesus responds to this someone, right, to to this guy. He calls him friend. Now, you might be thinking, well, he didn't really answer his question or he didn't respond to his request, but both in his answer and in his tone, we can see that Jesus cares about the things that you and me care about. It's because he cares so deeply for you that often he will address the deeper issue and address the deeper need because it's what's best for you. And so, as we see, his response is incredible. Now, if this is your first time at church ever, welcome. It really is an honor to have you. Or maybe this is your first time with us here at this church at City Bible Church. I'm so glad you're here and let me say what a Sunday you've chosen to be with us. Because today we are looking at some of the biggest questions that all of us ask, all of us wrestle with and struggle with and are seeking after. What is life about? What is the purpose of life? What am I supposed to be doing? And so through God's word I hope to show you this morning what the purpose of life is. Now, I'm not going to tell you right away. I'm going to save it till the very end of the sermon, of course. Otherwise, you might leave. Uh, Elizabeth, lock the doors, please. Um, just joking, but we'll get there. Now, in order for us to consider what life is, we want to begin by considering what life isn't. And in a sort of preface to the parable, right, Jesus uh, often we see he, he'll tell you what the story is going to be about, then he'll tell you the story, and then at times he'll uh, summarize the story and the point of the story after. So in a sort of preface of the parable, Jesus tells us that life isn't found in the abundance of one's possessions. Right? The the problem presented is that of splitting an inheritance. But instead of uh, Jesus talking about the right way to split an inheritance while the oldest son should get this percentage and then so on and so forth, Or instead of telling this guy the good things that he can do with his money, Jesus goes straight to the heart and to the root of the issue. Greed. Now, what does he say? Watch out and be on guard. Right? These two warnings aren't the same, but they are connected, right? It's a call to recognize and respond. First, recognize the warning I'm telling you. Acknowledge that greed and covetousness can easily sneak into parts of your life and enslave you. Second, respond to my warning. You need to know that greed is a problem, but knowing alone isn't enough. You need to act. You need to guard yourself. Watch out and be on guard against what? All greed, Jesus says. All types of greed. right? What we're supposed to see here is that greed and covetousness comes in all shapes and sizes. Now, we can define greed as, as a strong desire for more. It's an unhealthy desire for things. I was reading in my notes, and I've seen this quote before, but uh, Rockefeller, one of the richest people who ever lived uh, in, in the U.S., I think a few generations before, uh, was asked, how much money is enough? And his response, if I'm remembering correctly, says, just, just a little more. Right? We feel that, don't we? Now, our text ties this greed to possessions, right? It's a, it's a lust that's never satisfied. Now, another thing that greed also does is it exalts possessions, which can sometimes be good, to a place of idolatry. Now, we can think of the well-known verse and the saying about money, right? The scriptures say, the love of money is the root of evil. And so often we respond, say, right, it's not money in and of itself, but the love of money. Now, as a throwback to our series that we just preached through in Galatians, we considered how a desire can become an over-desire, right? And that over-desire can breed greed. And so, for example... There is nothing wrong with knafe in and of itself. We can rightly say, and I hope that you would agree with me unless you have an intolerance to dairy or, uh, or gluten. We can rightly say that it's a gift of, from God to humanity that we can enjoy knafeh, That we can find it so plentiful in this neighborhood. But when the shift goes from knafe is good, thank you Jesus, to knafe is good is what life is about. And I need more knefe to find joy and fulfillment. Well, you've kind of gone a bit crazy, uh, and you've crossed the line, right? There's a difference between desiring something good and then finding and hoping and looking for everything in that possession, in that thing, in that person even. All right, Jesus said life is not in the abundance of his possessions, And so let's make that one of two points this morning as we work through the parable. Number one, life isn't in the abundance, and I'll even add, or absence of possessions, right? It's it's not in the abundance or absence of possessions. Jesus in this parable is showing us that that's not what makes life. The, The abundance of possessions or the absence of possessions aren't what fill a life. Even as we considered in the scripture reading from Ecclesiastes, uh, look with me as we go to the parable directly, verses sixteen through nineteen. Then he told them a parable. A rich man's land was very productive. He thought to himself, "What should I do? Since I don't have anywhere to store my crops, I will do this," he said. I'll tear down my barns and build bigger ones and store all my grain and my goods there. Then I'll say to myself, you have many goods stored up for many years. Take it easy. Eat, drink, and enjoy yourself. Again, as as we're going to the text, we don't want to have our preconceived thoughts. We're going to the text. We're looking at the text. In this parable, Jesus paints a positive picture of this rich man. Right? He's hardworking. He is resourceful and successful. He's wealthy. His land is productive. Everyone listening at the beginning of this parable is thinking, "I wish I was this person. I wish my problem in life was I have more and I need to find ways to store it, right? Or right, this man is a hard worker and a big earner, And so where is the error? We can point out three of them. First, he is self-centered. He's self-centered. Did you, did you catch that? I will do this. I will tear down my barns, my grains, my goods. Right. This, this man is stuck looking only at himself. He is consumed by his needs and his wants, and, and he has what we can say is, a, is an inward gaze. He's focused within, focused at himself. First, he's self-centered. Second, he's misguided. He believed that when he did all of these things, what was it that he said in verse 19? Then I'll be able to rest. Then I'll take it easy and live life. Now, that's the root of what he's after, right? Rest? Is that bad? No, it's it's not bad. We are a restless people, and we desire rest and so seeking rest isn't bad the, the bible would even show that we're all searching for it somehow because it's, it's within us to want rest and to want peace now for some their search for rest is connected to fear and as i consider this description you might be thinking that this matches you can connect to it right right some are afraid that if they don't have enough grain or enough barns or enough whatever it might be, then they won't be able to rest. And so fear is what's driving this person. All right, there's a true saying that money can't buy happiness. But I wonder if you've ever heard that or anyone's ever actually spoken that to you. There's a common response, isn't there? You say, well, it would help. Right? And, and there, is, there is something there that says, well, but, but it's not so bad. We can do it. I don't know how many times I've heard people say, if I won the lottery, oh, the things I would do. And I, I know they, they would spend it on themselves. Maybe a couple of good things here and there because I know my own heart. Right? It, it's so connected to our hearts to think that possessions and wealth will alleviate our cares. And then we can rest. But we see that this wealthy man has cares and anxieties, right? Didn't we read, he said, I I don't know what to do. What shall I do with his problem? Now, yes, there might be different anxieties and different problems, but they're still there, aren't they? Wealth doesn't alleviate. It does not give the life that we think it would. You see, Jesus wants you to have true peace. And so, through this parable... He's showing us the importance of being freed from greed. He wants to free you from greed. We consider this briefly, the, the danger of greed. Uh, in, in the first sermon of this series on the parables, when we looked at the four soils, if you uh, remember, we looked at the path, the rocks, the thorns, and the good soil. Now, let me read what Jesus said about that third category of soil the the one with thorns now the one sown among thorns this is one who hears the word but the worries of this age and here it is the deceitfulness of wealth choke the word and it becomes unfruitful and so it's an old and serious warning that the word of God and the hope of Christ can be choked out by greed. And so we hear Jesus' words, beware, be on guard. Now, before we move to the third era, I want to ask you a few questions. I think it would be amiss for us, for me, to just kind of keep going through without pausing, to ask you to reflect on what the Spirit is saying through the word of God. I want to ask you a few questions to help you diagnose whether greed and possessions occupy a larger place in your life than they should. And I'll explain why I'm asking this by telling you a story. Uh, as Marcy and I prepared to move to this part of the world, uh, we had to get rid of many things. Because we couldn't bring it all with us, and nor, nor should we have brought it all with us. And as we went through that process of giving away, of selling, of deciding what is important, what do we keep, what can we keep, Uh, Some things were easier to get rid of than others. Now, I remember going through our garage and going through boxes and preparing and doing all these things. And I opened up a box to see what's inside. It was a wedding gift that we got. At that point, we were married for four years. And so we had this box unopened for four years. There were a set of bowls, three colorful ceramic bowls. We'd never used them. They're in the box all these years. I forgot that we even had them. But what was my first thought? Oh, I don't want to get rid of those. Right? I, oh, I, I, we, I want that. Something just moments before I forgot that we ever owned. I never used it. I never needed it. But my first thought wasn't, well, this, is, this is, should be one of the easy things to get rid of. My first thought was, no, I don't want to get rid of those. Now, if you would have asked me if I have a problem with material possessions, I would say no. I'm sure it's the same for you. If someone said, do you struggle with greed? Unless it's very evident in your life, then you probably would say no. But I needed a moment like that. And so, I needed a moment like that to show me that there's things in my heart that are misdirected, misguided, that hold on to possessions in ways I didn't know. So a few diagnostic questions for you to think on both now and also for later. Ask yourself, do my thoughts often run after material things than after God himself? So when you're thinking, where do your thoughts go? Towards material things or after God? Do I ever compromise godly character in the pursuit of material gain? The spirit dwelling within you, the church who encourages you, the word of God which is living and active. You know I should not do this, but money, or raise, or an advancement, or whatever it might be. Are you compromising godly character in the pursuit of material gain? Last question. How do I respond when I lose material things? one way that we are able to guard ourselves against greed is to be generous. You see, generosity is both a weapon and a shield against greed. When we give of our things and of our money and give of ourselves, we are actively pushing back against the desire to hold on if we're so ready to give, right? It's pushing back against the natural impulse to think of ourselves and of our wants and of our own needs, right? This self-centeredness that so easily comes with being human. But here's the thing. We can't just be more generous, right? We can't just stop struggling with looking for rest and identity in possessions. Now, of course, we can take steps towards it, certainly, and I think that's helpful. But true change Can only come through Christ. And in regards to greed and generosity, we can find it in Christ's generosity towards us. Let me read from Philippians chapter 2 as Paul writes about Christ's humility and generosity. If you're taking notes, this is Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 8. Paul writes, Adopt the same attitude as that of Christ Jesus. Out of love for his father and love for us, what did Jesus do? He gladly gave up the privileges of his deity in order to serve us. Now even more than possessions, he gave his life so that we could live. And and Paul points out necessarily that he didn't just die any death. He died the worst kind of death, crucifixion. And so Christ's example, and even more so the Spirit who lives within us, empowers us to be generous. Friends, we have been given so much. When we realize that, and the more that we realize it, anything that we give in response is little in comparison. Now, for the rich man's third error, I'd mentioned that there's three that we want to consider. Look with me to verse 20. But God said to him, you fool, this very night your life is demanded of you, and the things you prepared, whose will they be? And so the third error that we see in this rich man's life is that he is short-sighted. He's short-sighted, right? He was worried and laboring for this world alone, and in it all, in his success, in his productivity, and his wealth, he forgot that life is like a mist. Life is a vapor. Our lives are a moment when compared to eternity. It's so hard for us to see that while we're living, especially in the younger years of our life. But our lives, all of us, whether it's five years 105 years on this earth. It's a moment in compared to eternity. And so being short-sighted leads to our second point about what life isn't. Remember I said there's two points as we work through the parables. Life isn't in the abundance or absence of possessions. Now we also see, number two, that life isn't our own. Life isn't our own. Now for God in this story... To demand the life of the farmer shows that the farmer's life belonged to him. Right? God is the giver and the taker of life. He's the one who made us. Therefore, we belong to him. The rich man thought that his possessions were his to keep. He thought that his life was his to keep. He thought that he was in control of all these things. And what was God's response? You fool. Now, it sounds a bit harsh, but it's not name calling. Right? The idea of foolishness in the Bible is describing someone who disbelieves and disregards God. Proverbs are filled with these examples. The Psalms are filled. Let me just read one. Uh, Psalm 14 verse 1. The fool says in his heart, there is no God. Why was the rich man a fool? Because he lived as if there was no God. He's foolish because he was investing his time and efforts into nothing. He's storing up things that don't last. He's looking for rest in things that don't bring rest. Listen to one what one commentator says. The man in the story was called a fool for com- confusing time with eternity. His body for his soul and what was his For what was God's? I ask you questions that I first ask myself. And so let's consider together. Friends, in which ways have we been fooled to believe that our lives would be better if only? If only we had this. If only that were different. If only we had that. Only had more of these things. Let's be on guard and let's watch out for one another. Now up to this point, we've considered what life isn't. And so as we look to the remaining verses, let's consider what life is. Luke chapter 12, verses 20 and 21. But God said to him, you fool. This very night, your life is demanded of you. And the things you prepared, whose will they be? That's how it is with the one who stores up treasure for himself and is not rich towards God. In Home Group Wednesday night, we saw this clearly. I'm sure you see it clearly. There is a contrast, isn't there? A clear contrast here. Treasures for self versus riches or treasures toward God. And so... Think again with me on our main point. Life is living in and for eternity. And so let's take that first half. Living in eternity. There is an important reality that we don't often realize. Now I think most Christians acknowledge it when they hear it, even as I'm going to say it now. But I don't think we give it the weight and the attention that we need and that we should. When we receive life from Jesus, when, when we are made new, when, when we are born again, when the Holy Spirit dwells within us, and, and let me say, all those descriptions are of the same reality. Right? These aren't different levels or, or paths of Christianity. These are all saying the same thing. And so the life that we have been given and that we now live in Christ, this is our eternal life. Once we've been given new life in Jesus, that life doesn't end. I thought Charles Spurgeon's words were helpful here, so let me read from him. He writes, Death does not transport believers to a new life, it simply rids us of certain impediments, so things that affect the way that we live. It rids us of certain impediments that hamper our true life in its upward flow. In other words, eternal life doesn't start at death. I think we think that sometimes. Death is just a pathway that purifies our current life. That is a complete shift in the way that we should think, and it's complete opposite of the way the world thinks. Right? And as we are transported to heaven, where our faith will turn to sight, all the things that hindered us in this life are removed. And so to live in eternity means that we live now, or at least we begin to live now, in the way that we will live forever. Let me say that again. For us to live in eternity means that our lives now, or at least we try to begin that now, will be the same life we live forever. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, Paul writes, we will always be with the Lord. Christians are to live life now in the same way we'll live forever. Brothers and sisters, we are a people created by God, created for God, and we will dwell with Him forever in a city that will never be destroyed. A city with no more death, no more curse, no thirst, no hunger, no tears, no sorrow. A city the scriptures declare and describe with no darkness and there's no need for a lamp or the sun, Because the Lord God will give us light. We will see his face and there we'll reign with him forever. Let me honor Tim Keller who is now with our Lord in heaven. We prayed for his health last week. There's more I'm sure I'll say in time. But let me honor him by paraphrasing some of his thoughts. We live in eternity when we realize that the fulfillment we're looking for in work, the fulfillment we're looking for in money, the fulfillment we're looking for in relationships and in family and in education, all those blessings we seek are found in the face of Jesus Christ. There are many of you here this morning. I hope many of you stay for the membership class. Not all of you. I don't think we have enough uh, lunch prepared. But I don't know many of you. I don't know the things you're going through. I don't know all your needs. I know some of them. and It's a joy for me as one of the pastors of this church to know how to pray for you all. But I know that that's what you need today. To see the face of Jesus. There is... Nothing that you need more today than to see Jesus and to know that true satisfaction is found in Him. And so, dear friends, do you see His face? Do you see the treasure that is ours in Jesus? Are you maybe even seeing these eternal beauties in Christ for the first time? If you are, how wonderful. That's evidence of the Spirit working in your life. If you are seeing Jesus, if he is becoming more to you than just a religious figure, a historical person, but now you're seeing him as Lord, a Savior, as one who gives life, as one whose words are true, as one who was born in the flesh died on the cross and was raised from the grave. If you're seeing these realities, if you're starting to believe that Jesus is who he says he is, that he is the son of God, call on him. Believe his words. Get rid of everything else that you've put your trust in and that you put your your hope in to be made right before God and look to Jesus. The Bible declares that when you place your faith, and so I like to say your hope and your trust, because faith is kind of this thing that we can't really see or understand, but when you put all your trust in Christ, when you put all your hope in Christ, and in doing that you're removing all the places that you place your hope in, the Bible declares that you've become a Christian. You've crossed from the realm of death and darkness to the realm of light and life. And if you've done that this morning... I would love to to speak with you and to hear that and to pray for you. Now, the reason that I'm pointing out if you've believed or if you're believing for the first time is why. Because the Christian faith is a lifelong hoping and trusting in Jesus. We're always turning away from the things that try to capture our gaze and our hearts and we're always turning to Jesus. We are always to reject the lies of the world and to put our trust in the truth, in the words of Christ. And so for those of you this morning who I know are a Christian or maybe I don't know, but you are a follower of Christ. You have placed your hope and trust in him. You've trusted in his death, that through his death, he conquered death. You trusted that when he was raised from the grave, that he had clothed us with righteousness. If that's you... For those who know Jesus as Lord and Savior as, as treasure, do you see him more clearly today? Remember His worth and His value, because there is nothing that compares to Him. You might have been distracted. It's okay. We always will be, to some degree, in certain ways, but the call is to look to him. So I call you to look to him now. Fix your eyes on him. Pursue him because there is nothing and no one more worthy or satisfying than Jesus. Remember our main point. Life is living in and for eternity. And so let's close by considering that. When we see Christ When we really see him, what drives us and ultimately satisfies us are eternal things. And and when we really see Christ, we'll be able to say with faithful followers from long ago that the only things worth having is what we can have forever. And the only thing worth my grasping is what death cannot tear out of my hand. So what is that? it's Christ and his church. Dear Christian, spend your life on Christ and his church. Deepen the relationships that you have in the church. Build one another up and encourage one another to look to Jesus because we know how easy it is for us to be forgetful and for us to be distracted. Spend time praying for one another. Grow in your love for Christ and see and trust that it will bear fruit in your life so that the people you want to see Jesus will see Jesus in your life. Share the good news of the gospel. If you don't know how, ask someone. I'm sure there are many who would be glad to share with you what they've seen and experienced and to encourage you in your evangelism towards the people that you love. Your friends and family who are lost here with me this morning. Everything else will pass away. And it's once we acknowledge that, then we begin to live. Now you might still be thinking, but well, what about work? What about food? What about money? This is so spiritual. How do we actually live in this world without thinking on these things? Well, let me end the sermon this morning by reading the verses directly after this parable. And so, Jesus is teaching. A distracted guy interrupts. And asks a question. Jesus responds by telling a parable. And then, what I'm about to read is the following verses, where he speaks directly to his disciples. Let's close with these words: Luke chapter 12, verses 22 through 34. Then he said to his disciples. Therefore, I tell you, don't worry about your life, what you will eat, or about the body, what you will wear. For life is more than food, and the body more than clothing. Consider the ravens. They don't sow or reap. They don't have a storeroom or a barn, and yet God feeds them. Aren't you worth much more than a bird's? Can any of you add one moment to his lifespan by worrying? If then you're not able to do even a little thing, why worry about the rest? Verse 27, consider how the wildflower grow. They don't labor or spin thread, yet I tell you, not even Solomon in all his splendor was adorned like one of these. If that's how God clothes the grass, which is in the field today and is thrown into the furnace tomorrow, how much more will he do for you, you of little faith? Don't strive for what you should eat and what you should drink. And don't be anxious. For the Gentile world eagerly seeks all these things, and your Father knows that you need them. But seek his kingdom. And these things will be provided for you. Don't be afraid, little flock, because your father delights to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to the poor. Make money bags for yourself that won't grow old. An exhaustible treasure in heaven, where no thief comes near and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Let me say those words one last time. Where your treasure is, church, there your heart will be also. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your gentle and direct word to us this morning. And not just this morning, but to this person in the crowd and to your disciples and to all who have considered these words of life. Gentle and direct, Father, we thank you because this is something we all struggle with. And we will continue to struggle with it. And so, Father God, we pray, strengthen us. Help us to fix our eyes on you. Father, as as was considered in the sermon, there's someone or several who have not yet seen you. Father, would you open eyes? Would you save souls? And would you give life this morning? Father, help us to be a people that are fixed on you. And that it's through our heavenly mindset that, Father, we can be good to one another, be good to this neighborhood, be good to this city, that you would be glorified through those efforts. Father, we thank you for the gift of your word. We thank you for the gift of your church. Be glorified in all that we do. We pray these things in your son's name. Amen.